Happy Tag Tuesday. Hi. Hi, I'm Ann Felice. And I'm Denise Cooper. <laughs> what you couldn't hear is I threw Denise for a loop and I tried to introduce her before saying, you know, I thought she'd take my cue. I thought you'd be I'm like, not and a that's Ann Police, and we're two average girls. The but... problem is when we have started this, we've changed our intro a couple times. Yeah. And when you're the one that changed it, actually, you yeah. wanted to change it. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't care about. It doesn't literally, but you it was it was a good idea. I liked that we were introducing ourselves at the beginning. Yeah, but it took us a while to get on board to do that. We're still trying to get on board, and that's what I'm saying. You so I'm threw sorry. me for a loop. Didn't mean to throw you because for a loop. I still haven't gotten fully on board with the change. Janice, <laughs> it's only been two and a half years. We're going on year three here, so let's let's get it I'm together. I'm a slow learner, <laughs> and I'm not a professional. Remember, you I'm your are. sidekick. No, you're a professional. I don't know. Did you, speaking of sidekicks, I mean, the most famous sidekick is Batman and Robin, of course. I'm your Robin. You're not. I think I am. No. I want to be. I I like that outfit. It's a good outfit. It's the best one. I know. Now, speaking of duos, though, Mm -hmm. have you seen this? And this may change by the time we're done airing it, because we're recording this the end of 2023, and we're not airing it until 2024. Hall and Oates are suing each other. What? I know. That doesn't seem right. Bring on the end of the world. What is going on? I don't know, but Daryl Hall, the blonde, the the tall, tall, the tall, mm-hmm. uh, blue-eyed soul, he uh, filed a lawsuit against John Oates and mm. then promptly filed a restraining order Ooh. against him, and it had to do with the music and the use of the music mm. and making money in the music. And sure. I'm like, stop it. You two... If you, these two don't get along, I don't know what I'm going to do. Captain and Tennille? Stop. I mean, we're I mean, talking about some good duos. They are the most... Most people don't know who these people are. <laughs> Hall and Oates are the most profitable duo in history. Really? In history. Have you ever seen them in concert? No. Okay. I've had the pleasure. And let me just say, if there was ever a chance, I don't know that they're ever going to get back together because... Sounds like it's not going to really well, work out no for the There's no coming back from a restraining order. I don't know what that... So There's women that come back from restraining order, so maybe they can <laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe. Uh, seeing them in concert was one of the, I've seen them a couple times, best concerts I've ever seen. Really? He is magical the way he sings. And let me just tell you this. We went to a Kenny Loggins concert, mm-hmm. Warren and I did, last last year, 2023. And the opening act was um, a group called Yacht Rock something. Hmm. Something Yacht Rock. And they sing all of those kind of 1970s Yacht Rock songs. You know what Yacht mm-hmm. Rock is, right? No, you I don't. don't. I have no idea. Okay. Anyway. What is it? Is it? <laughs> I don't have time to explain it to you right now, Denise, but Yacht Rock is like Hall and Oates. Oh. Uh, Kenny Loggins. I didn't know there was a name for it. They put it into a genre, oh. and you can find it on your Sirius XM dial. I thought it was just oldies but goodies. No, not oldies but goodies. It's very specific, like Christopher Cross sailing, uh, that kind of thing. That's Yacht Rock. I don't know why it's in its own genre now. So Yacht Rock is short for... It's like I'm out on a yacht on a boat. Okay, so that's what I was wondering. Yeah. I'm, I like it then. Yeah. yeah, I thought you would. I like it. Yeah, it's Yacht Rock. I mean, I don't have a yacht and no. I'm never really on one. But if you listen to the music, you feel like you're on the yacht. That makes it's sense. It's really fun. I'm going to have to music. look for that. Yes, they have a whole channel dedicated to it. You can find it streaming. Wow. These guys were really good. There was like nine members of this band and each of them had their talent, their their instrument, but then they also sang at mm. different times. It took two the two lead singers together to sound like Daryl Hall. Mm. That's how good his voice is. So you can imagine the. I'm just very depressed that there's that there's a rift between Hall and Oates. Just so you know, mm-hmm. just to settle you down and to put your Please mind do. at ease, I will not be having a restraining order against you. I'm good. Even no matter what you do. No matter what I do? I mean... What if I try and take the profits from Two Average Girls podcast? 
<laughs> it's going to be hard to find that. I don't know how you're going to take something that zero is zero is zero, but okay. It's called a post-nuptial agreement and you signed it. You just didn't know it. I have been working on getting this next guest for the last two years and she has not been able to come on because she's so busy. And well, we've got her now. And we're we're <laughs> Welcome in 2024. This is why we're having her here. Oh. Welcome, Morgan. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. And she's she's telling the truth. It took um, a lot of, of, you know, waiting and planning and trying to get here. So I'm excited to be here we're and glad. share with you guys. Now, how many children do you have, Morgan? I have three. How and old, she's right. They're very ages. busy. Yeah, I have one in high school who's Oof. 14, oh. um, extremely busy. And then I have a 11-year-old um, who lives in the gym. And then I have a son who's eight. And all of them are active, active children. I love it, though. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what life is all about at this point, it right? Is. Yeah, it is. I'm just a hamster on a wheel. Absolutely. Yeah, I think if you ask my eight-year-old what I do, he would say Uber driving. Because <laughs> <laughs> I run around in circles all day driving them around. Does he give you five stars? That's uh, the question. That's what we need to know, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the reason that Denise was so psyched to have you in and thus making me so psyched to have you in is your profession is something that we dream about. Tell the folks <laughs> what, okay, what's the name, the actual name of what you do? So I'm a forensic supervisor. What does that mean to the layperson? So, I mean, I guess if everyone's, you know, still into the TV shows of like CSI and uh, what NCIS and all those good things, that's what I do. I am a crime scene investigator. I work both in the field and in the laboratory. Um, and pretty much now with the title supervisor, it's more the managing of the unit. Okay. So as an example, the um, I, I was a news anchor for a million years and I went out on a story of a bad smell in a Garden Grove neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> Nothing ever turns out well when it starts out with a bad smell. And it was so bad that this people were calling. And then it ended up being a meth house. Out came the police is th that when you sort of step in or do you yeah so i mean you have your first responders we're not first responders so your first responders are the ones you know get the phone call that right. uh, there's you know either a check the well-being if you're talking about smell a neighbor hasn't seen someone in a while um so we are called in after um the incident has been you know um handled by first responders and then they determine if it qualifies for forensics to come out. So if they need um, someone to investigate the scene or they need pictures or they need evidence collection or some area of expertise that's above theirs, mm -hmm. um, then that's when the response comes in from forensics. So it can be any, it can run the gamut of scenes. Oh, yeah. You can go from uh, a residential burglary to uh, robbery, which, you know, is of a person, or we can do um, homicide, attempt homicides, rapes. I mean, it, it varies. So what are you looking for? You're not looking for anything specific. You're there to gather information and then let someone else look at the specifics or? We do both. So, I mean, when we come out, we're there to aid investigators, but we are there also. We're documenting and providing investigative leads. So um, it may be a detective isn't sure if that is a blood trail that he has or an officer. So we may come out, test it, and be like, yes, this is a blood trail. So that would provide a, a lead, right? So we're mm -hmm. going to follow the trail mm -hmm. or we're going to collect the blood and it will be analyzed later to determine who it came from. Um, so it varies. You know, it um, could be just documentation because they know what happened, but they need very clear documentation. Mm -hmm. Or it can be us trying to piece it together with them. How did you get started in this career? This is amazing. <laughs> so um, I, I actually grew up kind of a smaller town when I grew up there, a little bit north of the L.A. area. And um, the, I mean, I think the typical jobs were like nursing, teaching, sure. um, you know, the standard. And, and my parents were in the private sector, so nothing related to what I do. Um, so I went to school. My, my, my parents did not um, go to college and graduate, so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I showed up, I took my placement tests, and I went to the junior college. And I thought I wanted to do nursing like all of my friends mm -hmm. were doing. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do nursing. Um, a couple friends were ahead of me by a few years in the program. And so they started practicing on each other, like, you know, sticking <laughs> each other with needles oh, no. and, you know, that kind of thing. And I instantly realized I could not handle needles and I couldn't handle the sight of blood. Yeah. So, which is so funny that she is a crime scene investigator. Well, but that's not, it's different. I know. But yeah, I mean, when you, when she told me originally, she says, I, her mom, her stepmom told me, I, li she literally hates 
blood. And I'm yeah. like, she's a CSI. It's not the same. It's not. True. I get it. Well, yeah. and, and I think you're right, right? Because when I told my parents, I'm not doing nursing. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. I started taking some um, elective courses in school, one of them being a criminology course. And I thought, this is right. Most people, this is amazing. This is fun. I want to do this. Um, and I remember coming home and telling my dad, and he was like, you understand that that's blood, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to tell me, yeah, bad idea, because <laughs> oh. you're not going to be able to handle blood because you just stopped a program with blood. Right. Um, and so I decided, well, I should volunteer and see if I can handle it. And so at the time, like I said, it was a small town. So I went to the sheriff's department. I got a volunteer position in their crime lab. Nice. Um, and one of my first cases, um, well, I wouldn't say first, but um, down the road was a dead body. Mm -hmm. And I realized as long as the person is not in pain and um, and they're dead, I could handle it. Yeah. That sounds a little morbid, but no. as long as they were not in pain, it didn't bother me. Got it. Yeah, yeah, and so to this day, like, I mean, I've done decapitations. I've done, you know, people whose body parts have been cut off and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. And mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't phase me. Oh. But it's weird. It is. I agree yeah. with you. <laughs> Did yeah. you have to get to a place where, like, you worked up to that, though? I think that's what, right? The the glitz and glam of it is it's right. exciting. It's investigative. I think most people are inquisitive mm -hmm. and they like that aspect of it. Um, but you're right. The dirty side is probably what turns people away. Um, the smell of a dead body is, I mean, you can smell it on you. You, you feel can. like for days, whether it's, whether you can or can't in your mind, psychologically or within your pores, you feel like you can smell that. Um, but there is stuff that's gross. Like I've worked in a house that has literally been covered in feces. And so we had to suit up and walk through for hours. It was a sexual assault and we had to walk over like, um, like basically a toilet overflowed. The feces flows out into the hallway mm -hmm. and then they put a sheet over it and it soaks in and then more feces flow into the hallway. And so we were walking on inches of human feces and you are in there, like you said, for hours, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, that's the part that is some people are, don't have the stomach for it. Mm -mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. Or roaches. That's always gross, right? Roaches. <laughs> uh, maggots, dead body situation. Maggots, roaches. Yeah. yeah. So I, I will clarify, like when, as a, as a forensic investigator, um, we don't touch the bodies. So as a LA County rule, um, if there is a dead body, the forensic investigator doesn't touch the body. It belongs to the coroner's office. So maybe that's partially why I was okay with this field. I don't physically touch the body. So everything at a crime scene um, is mine per se. So like the evidence, the bullet holes, the phones, the fingerprints, all of that is mine. Um, but the body belongs to the coroner. So I don't have to touch it. I don't have to deal with bugs. I mean, I see them, sure. but I don't have to touch them. But as a forensics person, don't you, don't you have to examine a body, some bodies for different things? Isn't that part of your job? No. So the coroner investigator and the MD are the ones that actually investigate the body. Okay. So at this scene, if I have questions about the body, I will work with the coroner investigator. They will manipulate the body. They will hold up um, an arm so that I can get a, a picture of a bullet hole or okay. put, a, you know, um, I don't know, a little ruler up to it if we're looking for a certain item. or um, So, for example, we had a little girl who was tortured years ago, and there were markings on her body, and we needed to figure out what caused those markings. So what we would do is work with the coroner. She would manipulate the body. We would hold up the ruler so that we could get a good idea of size. Mm -hmm. So we'd go back to the grime, crime scene and search for that particular item that could have caused that injury. What about something like rope? Or like some maybe someone's been tied up or whatever. The, the coroner then helps you find the fibers on the body from the the rope. Is that yeah? How it so goes? that will go back to the coroner's office and they'll do a full autopsy and they will collect the trace evidence. They will collect all of the things that oh. are physically from the body. Okay. Yeah. So do, we're just crime scene. Do you ever go to, into the autopsy and because. You know, when I watch CSI, they usually go in there and they're talking to the autopsy people and the coroner and they're always, you know, palling around and they always want to see what is going on. Do you ever do that? You can. Um, you can go down. So autopsies take a while to get the reports back. So if we are on a time crunch or we feel like we might lose evidence or we might lose a suspect, um, we will go down and physically be in the autopsy room if requested or if we feel like we need something verbally from them prior to... Um, you know, us um, 
going out to the scene and looking for something. So we can go there. We can physically be in the office with them. We can ask them questions, but it's not a hard copy report. And we're still not touching the body. Is that, that a good sense. relationship between forensics and the MD or the coroner? Is that oh, a, yeah. That's a, that's, it's a working you're relationship. You're not at odds. No, not okay. at all. Not we at all. see that a lot on TV. Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> usually someone's like, it's mine. No, yeah. I, I would say, I mean, most everybody in this field, right? You get into it because you want to give answers to people who basically you're meeting them on the worst day of their life right for sure so I, I I mean I've seen it it happens occasionally um you get that personality who's like it's mine and I'm in control but for the most part I'd say I've been doing this 20 plus years um everybody wants to work together you know for yeah. the most part did you so after junior college where did you end up doing your graduate your bachelor's degree where did you go so um, after I decided I could handle it, I mm-hmm. transferred to Cal State Long Beach. Um, they were the only one around at the mm-hmm. time with the forensic program. Because when I got in, I just said um, I was doing this now for 20 plus years. Um, forensics wasn't as popular. The shows yeah. were just coming out when I was getting into the field. Right. Um, so there was maybe two colleges that had something forensic related. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it was criminal justice or um, psychology, right? Right. Um, so I went to Cal State Long Beach. They had a applied for forensic science program so you got that on top of your bachelor's degree okay so it's a certificate basically um so i applied there i went there um and while i was there cal state was one of the schools that required you have an internship while you're going through your degree um so my senior year i applied to an internship it was picked up by an agency in la okay mm-hmm. is that where you ended up working afterwards i didn't i did oh. I, I wanted to um I, I, it did come full circle so i wanted to but um forensics is extremely hard to break into because unlike police work let's say um an agency has a hundred officers they'll only have two or three forensic specialist positions. So hundreds of people apply for these positions and only one get it. Um, So really you have to have an internship to get in. Um, I had the internship, but the agency I was working at, they weren't hiring. They already had the seats full. There wasn't room. So um, at the time, Redondo Beach was a city nearby that was hiring. And um, although, you know, I didn't believe there was probably a lot of crime. I'm not from here, but it looked like a great city. (laughs) I thought I just need to get my foot in the door. Um, So I went over there and I started working. And um, I will say it is a beautiful city to live in. It is the most boring city to work in. (laughs) Which is good. That's probably great if you live there, there, but not so great if you work there. Exactly. So um, if I wanted experience, I knew that I wasn't going to get it from there. I was extremely grateful for the opportunity. They were a great department to work for. Um, I I made a lot of great relationship. I learned a lot, but I wasn't getting a lot of forensic crime scene experience. Um, So I was offered a position with Inglewood Police Department where I lateraled over to. And just to give you an idea, I worked at Redondo for one year Mm. and I had one major incident. Mm. I went to to Inglewood PD and on my very first day, I signed my papers at like five o'clock. And again, my dad, Mr. You know, very calm and conservative was like, you don't know what you're doing. You should not leave Redondo. This is a bad decision. He was worried about your safety. He was very worried. He was very worried. Um, So I went over to Inglewood PD and on my very first night, I signed my papers at five and at midnight or something, I can't remember, it's been so long, but it was middle of the night, the phone rings and they said, we have a homicide where um, someone was shot. They were rolled up in carpet and they were tied to the bumper of a car and pulled down the street. But it broke because they were trying to hide the body, but they didn't think it through very well. (laughs) So then they... Put the body back in the driveway and set it on fire and an off-duty la county um fire um captain or something drove by and put out the put out the fire and to his surprise was a dead body um so that was my first so it was hours and went home went to bed and then i would say so if i got off like saturday afternoon or night um sunday i had another call and then again on Monday, and then I burst into tears. <laughs> you, you thought, Redondo Beach seems like a really right. good idea now. <laughs> what was I thinking? But it, it had its waves, right? Like yes. it, would, it would come in a wave, you would be busy for a couple of days, and then you would be, you know, quiet for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with the moon? I'm asking that as a very funny question, but I have had other people in law enforcement tell me that the moon cycle and full moons really bring out some crazy people. 
there's all kinds of there is all kinds of theories out there right like some will say it's the hot weather right sure. like summer people right. are irritable and they're all locked up in their houses and they have no air and then they just go crazy um i've i've had holidays holidays mm. tend to be you know you get the family together you get a little family <laughs> just to be going on mm-hmm. uh yeah so i mean I, rhyme or reason i don't know yeah i think everybody's got their own theory right yeah. santa Ana wins maybe I, <laughs> listen I, allergies I, kick up i want to do things during the winds that are unthinkable the things that stick out in your mind you're not still at inglewood how long i'm not oh so so yeah i guess if i tie that in for you i was at inglewood for um several years i worked um a lot of homicides there we only worked homicides it's a very high crime city it's a very highly populated gang city Mm -hmm. um so anyways i worked there very very busy and then um, before SoFi Stadium and Taylor Swift showing up, um, we <laughs> were poor, right? Yeah, right. And so um, they were doing layoffs. And so I went full circle and I returned to the agency I'm at now. Mm, nice. And that's where I was interning out of college. Oh. So they're, um, they're um, gal that had been there for many, many years retired. And so they asked if I would come back over. And you're still in L.A. County. So still there's still LA a County. lot going on. Yes. There's still a lot of excitement. Are you... Are you busy still? It's busy. So I'm still in LA. I will say if you compare it to Inglewood where I was at, I'm uh, it's about half of what they have. Yeah. And I will say um, from the time going, my first um, child was born when I worked at Inglewood. And I will admit it was hard, right? There were nights you work all night, you come home, you have a new baby. Yeah she's awake she's ready to play you know and you're like I just want to sleep right um so I would say I found the happy medium I'm not at a a small town city where nothing's happening um but the average homicide rate is far less than that of you know Inglewood or or LA it's a little more reasonable Mm -hmm. as far as hours are concerned is this an on-call situation or do you have office hours we it's both yeah so you work um four 10-hour days our agency is a four 10-hour day Mm -hmm. um and then you you could literally get off at four and the phone can ring at 4 30 and yeah. you return to work and you might not get off till mid next day yeah yeah so yes you were on call the phone rings in the middle of the night i think sometimes my kids know that i leave and sometimes i return before they ever even knew i was gone they didn't even <laughs> know you were gone yes speaking of the kids and trying to juggle motherhood and being a wife how does that work for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think any job for a mom, right, is challenging because you're trying to keep the family together. You feel like the weight is on you. And then, <laughs> yes, the dad is there and dad is helping. But, yes, I think as a mother and that maternal side of us is that we feel like we need to take a lot of it on. Um, but I I wouldn't. I wouldn't not want to do what I'm doing, to be honest. And I think it instills good values in our children that mm-hmm. we can do both, right? Like right. I can go to work all day and I can still come home and I can make all of your practices and I can make all of your recitals and occasionally we'll miss something. But that also shows them the sacrifice too, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes we're judged for being working mothers. Absolutely. Um, but I think what my kids get out of it is that there's time for both mm-hmm. and they see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a work ethic there for you. Mm-hmm. How do you separate what you see with the family? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think law enforcement in general has gotten better about um, resources for their for their employees and for their people. Um, the agency I work at now is amazing at making sure that you tap into either talking to someone either at work or outside, and there's a lot of different resources available. But, I mean... For me, I I didn't want to bring it home. I didn't want to have that negative feeling. And so I don't know if it's a switch. I don't know if that's healthy. We'll find out mm-hmm. 20 years from now. Right. Right? Okay. Right. Um, but I, I, I don't know, like maybe because you said it's a baby and I'm home and this is my role now when I'm at home. Um, I didn't want to bring that. I don't know if I did it the right way, to be honest. Who, who knows? We right? never do. No. We'll see what my kids grow up right. to be like and we'll see what I look like. But mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't feel like the world was a bad place. Right. And that I wanted to keep them in a bubble. I'm not going to say that doesn't bleed into like their lives because they'll want to ride like a e-bike. And I'm like, have you seen what those things do to people? <laughs> right. And they're yeah. like, okay, we get it, mom, calm down. Well, calm you were down. able to compartmentalize. I think I guess, that yeah. was, that was probably, I, I, that's where I was going with that, that you have to have that ability. And I think you also are looking at it as a job. 
Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that you put it best, right? I compartmentalize. I realize I'm at home. I'm in a different role and a different mode. Um, but I, I truly enjoy my job. After 20 years of doing it, I never pull up and think, I don't want to be here. And I think that I like helping people. And although it couldn't be in a hospital, bandaging mm-hmm. them up, it's a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't know. I I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade what I'm doing for anything. It's definitely providing a service that cannot be provided anywhere else. It's, I mean, you are, it's a public service. It's a servant. behind the scenes in a way that literally most people don't have any clue that there's people like you. Until CSI and NCIS right. even right. came about, we didn't know that, that this world existed. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, and you put it in a good point because we come out sometimes in the middle of the night or yeah. working in front of your house. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say we roll out at midnight and you're asleep and we wrap it up in four hours because it's just a couple um, expended cartridge casings in the street. <laughs> you might not even know we were there right. the night before, you know? Yeah. And so while everyone's at home asleep quietly in their beds, we're working, you I know, in some it. aspect. But I, I do find that that's where I have a hard time when people don't appreciate law enforcement or oh, yeah. what goes on behind the scenes because you have no idea what people are doing exactly in the middle of the night and while you're home safe in your bed. So do you have any cases that stick out in your mind career-wise? You, you've been at it for 20 years. <laughs> yes. Um, is there, it's probably asking a lot. Is there anything though that makes you go, oh, that one time? I mean, there is, there's always, though, I mean, there's, okay, so working in, in some of these um, high gang um, populated cities, of course, you have your, you have a dozen drive-by shootings that occurred, and as sad as that sounds, like, I can drive down the street and remember, I worked something there, I worked something there, I mm-hmm. worked something there, um, but there are those ones, and I'd say most of the ones that stick out in your head are the more intimate ones, and when I say that, it's usually somebody who knew the person, mm-hmm. and it was more personal and brutal. Those are the ones that tend to stick out, because mm-hmm. um, you feel that person's pain, right? Like, you know they had fear when whatever was happening was happening, um, but yeah, I have I have bizarre cases from... Um, a tree trimming incident, right? What's so, like, if you can think about the movie ugh. Fargo, yes, right. So, oh, I no. mean, we have those type where it's accident, purely accident, but somebody went into a wood chipper, um, right? And <laughs> <laughs> I'm covering my face because we own a wood chipper, and I know, Be no, no, I mean, <laughs> you can't. I can't get far enough away from it. But it never occurred to me. That part of your job is also handle. It's not necessarily criminal all the time, right? No, we we have we have so we have accidental, we have suspicious deaths, we have what are presumed to be suicides, but mm. we're not sure, right? Yep. So we want to handle it um, as a suspicious death until proven otherwise. Yes, because the last thing you want is to not go out on a scene because it's deemed an accident or just um, a suicide, but yet it was a homicide and you didn't collect any evidence or you didn't document it the way it should have been documented, you can't go back and you can't recover it. Um, But yeah, we, we collect, or I'm sorry, we go out to almost everything. Like in that particular case, they called us out because we've never had that before. A wood chipper? A wood chipper. No, no, no. And so it's kind of like, what do we do with this? And I'm sure, you know, I'm, for city purposes, lawsuits or things like that, right? But we went out because it was more like our officers are like, we have never seen this. Who do we call, right? And they even told us, you need to come out here and see what we're what we have. And so it was like, okay, you know. And so we go out and then we're like, okay, um, we've never worked this either. So there's times where you think you've seen it all, but you haven't. No, right? You absolutely. So was that haven't. a homicide? It wasn't. It was. It was purely Accident. accidental, right? What are we doing with the wood chipper in LA County? The wood chipper drives to the coroner's office because you can't do anything oh with my that. gosh yes of course <laughs> right like yes you, yeah so it has the whole truck has to go to the coroner's office can i ask you was this a, a public works wood chipper or private wood chipper you no know, i don't recall i don't recall yeah. I, I know it was a, a crew right out on the street but i don't recall if it was the city employees or not oh it was an entire crew well what one person oh. but yes the crew but was they all out watched working. it yeah but you got to make sure yeah. no one pushed him in I know that's the thing. It's like, well, you I mean, you have to investigate. You have and to investigate so, it. But there, there really been wasn't some much animosity. we could do because there wasn't like so. Our job, we go out and we process for fingerprints. We take pictures. We process for biological evidence. Sure. Um, we document bullet holes or trajectory or you know things like that. 
this didn't really fall into any of those categories, minus some pictures, right? It's all going to be statements, and then the coroner has to go back and do their part. Because there's really nothing there's left nothing. to investigate. I, yeah, there's nothing for me to really do on that one. That yeah. is bizarre that yeah. you said that correctly. Yeah. That's a bizarre so one. we've had, I mean, so we'll go out to those. We'll go out to, like I said, um, suspicious deaths. So like anytime someone in their 20s passes away, right, and it's unknown cause, that's considered suspicious. Sure. Because if there's no medical history, no one in their 20s should be like dying in their sleep. Right. So we'll go out to those, and at the time, we won't know if it's drug-related or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but our job is to go in and look for those things, right? Are we finding drug par- paraphernalia? Yes. Um, are we finding notes? Because there is more to this, right? A suicide note or something. So we try to piece those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll go out to, um, you know, we have sexual assaults that we go out to. And, and it just, it, it, it completely varies. According to, uh, well, Dateline and 2020 and 48 hours, um, without, without a doubt, suicides are actually homicides. I mean, that's what they're feeding us. Every, and don't get me wrong, I love Dateline. Oh, show. <laughs> yes. But according to what we're seeing, it's like, well, it, was, it looked like a suicide, but right. it's actually a homicide. How often does that actually happen? I, I Most of the time, our suicides... And in, in, in the cities I've worked have panned out. I haven't had a lot of staged crime scenes. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. More like somebody put the gun in someone's hand. Um, but a lot of that can be determined by the angle of the bullet entering the body. It's pretty simple, uh, right? right? Whether yeah. or not there is those clues that... And, and a lot of people who don't work forensics don't know that. So they just throw the, the gun in the hand and they say, okay, but then the person was left-handed and the gun's in the right hand. Nobody's doing it, right? <laughs> right? So people usually mess up. And that's what yeah. you're seeing on Dateline. Right. You know? It's... I'm just and I there was a story like this on Dateline last night that I was watching it and involved antifreeze and I'm like it's just not possible that this is happening as much as they're trying to make us think that it's happening there's no way I guess that's why those ones are Dateline that's right? why <laughs> they choose those they choose them because they're so incredibly stupid right. I mean stupid criminals are have got to be we don't we catch love, the smart ones we you don't, you don't catch <laughs> the smart ones exactly. we don't catch the smart ones no that's it that's exactly it but I mean, dumb criminals are what we live for. I mean, we are just shocked and awed by the fact that not only forensic fibers and, you know, fingerprints and all those things, but now electronics. Do you guys have people doing those types of forensics now? Are you involved in that? We're not. We're not. There are specialty units for that. Um, We'll send a lot of our digital evidence out. So phones, computers, things like that, because there's so much in there, right? And it's really a specialty. Mm -hmm. So we'll send that out to another agency who has that, a larger agency that has the capability to dig in there, to transfer it. I mean, some of these phones we can't get into, so you have to have them to where you can break them, you can get into them. and as far as the cars and stuff go, you're right. Like everything's recorded nowadays. So yeah. the the idea of like hopping in your car, driving over to someone's house and doing something and getting home with no one knowing with all the ring cams out there, all your cars have black boxes, if yeah. you will. You know what I mean? And so everything is digitally recorded. Yeah. And so I don't know why we are still trying. <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought crime would decrease just for the sheer fact that it's so much harder to get away with it yeah Yeah. is there a type of investigation tool that you used when you first got into it 20 so years ago that you don't use anymore like touch dna or hair fiber i don't know are those still being used is that stuff that's still being used yeah all of that's being used um some of that's been introduced since i've been into the field um Mm -hmm. so when i started you used to have to have dna that was like the size of a quarter right you had to be able to see it it had to be anywhere from like a nickel size to a quarter you had to have a significant amount or not significant but a decent amount to collect um and we used to have to do um a secondary sample as well we would have a basically you would have a primary sample you collected and then a secondary but now um i can't remember what year was introduced but we like you just mentioned touch dna um you don't have to see it anymore right so Mm -hmm. Uh, touch DNA is skin cells that are left behind on some item or surface or, you know, on a body. And so when you're um, collecting it, you don't know if you're actually collecting something. Where if you're swabbing for blood, you see the red stain transfer onto your swab. But if you're swabbing a... um, 
uh, a screwdriver that was used to break into a house, you're swabbing the handle. You don't see skin cells, right, or, or sweat or anything like that that's transferred or oils that are left behind. So you're hoping you get the sample yeah. um, and that you can provide some type of lead. But yeah, all of that stuff. I, I don't know that anything is obsolete anymore that we're not using. I mean, okay. technology has gotten better. Yeah. Um, and so we've changed our practices in some regards, but I, I don't think we've actually gotten rid of anything. I can't imagine walking into a house, though, where clearly a homicide has taken place. Where do you start trying to collect something like touch DNA? Like, it could be anywhere and everywhere. You don't know. Are yeah. you using a, a blue light? I mean, what do you use? <laughs> no, it's hard. I mean, so really we go, like, uh, so if we can, we go off of victim or witness statements, right? Like, we saw the suspect come in. Um, if we have witness statements, they'll say that phone that's sitting there or that cigarette butt. No one in this house smokes. That's oh. not ours, oh. right? So we, we try to go with those clues. Um, we focus on point of entries because if you think about it, like if you put your finger in ink and then you keep touching stuff, what happens? It slowly dissipates, right? It comes right. off. Um, so we try to search the areas where you're going to most likely leave it behind. So point of entry, you're sweating, you know, your, your adrenaline's up, so you're probably going to leave some nice fingerprints behind um we try to go for items that you would have had to touch for a significant amount of time or that you had to apply pressure to mm. so like when you're touching something we want it like if you had to use a screwdriver to pry you're gripping it hard right and you're really pushing down on it and potentially leaving some skin cells behind mm-hmm. um so i mean it is all a game of clue you're, yes. you're just really trying to figure out what area were they in, what looks out of place. If you don't have a statement, you're really looking for what's out of place. Mm, the so, one missing knife in yeah. the butcher block or right, whatever. Right? Yeah. Or if they came in here and they ransacked the house, you know, you're trying to find those items that you truly could, you think could provide some type of lead. Do you find yourself in court quite a bit testifying for anything? Uh, so in the beginning of my career, all the time really and now um and i don't know if it's just because of the change in politics but um we're in court less there's a lot more deals going on there's a lot more plea deals in my opinion um i testified a great deal in the beginning of my career and i have people in my office who have been in the field for years and have only testified not even a handful of times what do you give an example of a time you went to court and testified what did you what did they ask you what did you talk about uh, so it varies. I've done fingerprint testimony. So I've gone in and testified to um, the new uniqueness of a print. And I mm. would say it is, in fact, Denise's print, yes. you know, that she was there and she left it behind. Yes. So um, we are we are experts. And so we can render an opinion. And so I can say that after analyzing a print, I do believe it was so and so's print. Mm-hmm. Um we can testify to the collection of evidence. Um, we can testify to photography. We can testify to our report. And then they tell us we have too many typos. I mean, we can, <laughs> testifying is hard, right? Yeah. I mean, you're getting on the stand. You're really trying to present facts. Yeah. But you do feel like you are the one being um you know, basically, I don't want to say attacked, but you are the one that's being scrutinized, right? Sure. And you, you, you are worried, right? Like, did I do everything right? Did I dot every I? Did I cross yes. every T? Yes. And it's stressful. And I'd say most um, people in the field would tell you that's their least favorite part of the job. I'll bet. And not because you, you you have something that you don't want to talk about or that you didn't put in your report, but because... You know, it's public speaking, which most people don't like. Mm-hmm. And then your work is being scrutinized. Your expertise scary. is being called into question mm-hmm. for no real reason. Right. You've got a defense attorney that's trying to, def- he's doing his job too. Right. You know, so that's, I get that. Yeah. that that's not the great part of the job at all no they no, don't teach you that stressful. at long beach <laughs> yeah it's, they don't teach you that in college no they don't <laughs> so, at all. but it, i mean you have to right yeah. and and i appreciate it and and i i now in my career it still makes you nervous but i enjoy it sure I, I like getting on the stand and telling people what I did and how I did it and how I am confident in what I did on the job. You've reached a certain point in your career where you've kind of been there, done that, to lack of a better term. You're like, you're not going to stump me in your $3,000 suit. I got you. I mean, sometimes, right? Like, you know, they can ask you. And and to the the whole thing about courtroom testimony and and what I I also teach um, a college course. And I I talk to the students about if you don't know, you don't know. That's an answer. Right. And a lot of times um, on the stand, defense attorneys want to 
they want to push you into an answer, right? And the reality is if you don't know, you don't know. And if you didn't do something, just admit you didn't do something because it's probably not a big deal, right? It might not be a big deal. But as soon as you testify to something you didn't do or, you know, you get yourself into something, and so it's all about integrity, right? And and telling the truth and admitting when maybe you didn't do something. Or you can even say, I mean, we've had where they're like, why didn't you collect that? It wasn't important to us. Yeah. But but you didn't collect it, right? Because there was no evidentiary value in it. Right. right. And and so but sometimes they want you to feel like oh, I should have collected collect it, right? Yeah. But there was nothing there. Why would I collect it? Right. You know. So yeah. are there a lot of women in forensics? It's primarily a female uh, field. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. I oh. think the men like running, right? Running down criminals and, sure. and arresting them and, and that aspect of it. Love it. Um, but females, I don't know if it's because the attention to detail mm-hmm. or what it is, but it's primarily, it's a female dominant field. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm kind we of... We still have an <laughs> option. <laughs> it's still out there for us. It is. I might be a little old. Is there? Is there other... Now in Southern California, it must be the ability to go get a degree in forensics. There's got to be other places now that are. Yeah, but you would be surprised, though. There's still not a lot of forensic degrees. Um, they are out there. I, th- I believe Cal State LA now has one. Um, uh, I know back east have a couple. Um, but yeah, it's not. Not a big field. It's not. And I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if it's more so they're getting you towards criminology and then you do an emphasis in something, right? But, right. But um, yeah, there's not there's not a lot of, if you look it up and say a degree in forensics, there's not a lot of options. Yeah. When you went to school, you thought you were prepared for everything, right? You, and we all know that college does not prepare you for the real world. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you sticks out in your mind over the years that you just really were not prepared for that, wow, this happened while I was... I, they never prepared me for that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I do. I, I think like you're right that um, you think you go to college, right? You right. went to college, you, know you got a all. degree. I know it. I can do the job tomorrow. And that, and I was I am, was that person, right? I walked in going, what do you mean? I know everything. I have mm-hmm. a degree. And still to this day, they come in and they're like, but in college, they said. And, and so I encourage people in my office to, um, if they come back and they say, well, I saw in this class that you could do this. I've been doing it 20 years. You can't do that. But okay, how about go in the lab and try it out? And if it works, we will we'll, we'll, we'll implement it into our daily practices. And usually they come back in and they go, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you need to see for yourself, right? right? Yeah. Um, I will admit a funny story. So my degree is, you know, in criminal justice, had an emphasis in forensics. One of my first times testifying, which they don't prepare you for at all mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm was um, a civil case. It wasn't even criminal. Um, and I had to go in and talk about the field of forensics. And the attorney, you prep with the attorneys beforehand. Um, but so I'm maybe 23, 24 years old. I was young. Yeah. And um, I got on the stand and they asked me one of the first questions is, please state your background training experience. So I I tell him my title and I state it and I talk about my degree and it's in forensics, right? And then he goes, okay, can you please define forensics for us? <gasps> Well, I had never actually defined <laughs> forensics. Yeah. And I felt like such an idiot. I was like, well, it's what I do every day. Oh. <laughs> like, but it's that small thing. You get on the stand in front of 12 people and you tell them you're an expert in it. And, and then, then you like, can't define, define it. it. Yep. Embarrassing. To this day, yep. I think I have nightmares about that. Oh, <laughs> so. I get it. And so now in my office, because, you know, you live and learn, I try to... I, 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 go, I ask them every time. I can't tell you in all of my college courses, I'll ask them what is forensics. No one can answer. No. The definition, Mm-mm. the actual definition. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So Crazy. it's interesting, right? Yeah. But yeah. Where do you teach? Um, Cal State Long Beach. Okay. So yeah. you, you went back. So I'm in the or... forensic certificate program there. Okay. So I teach a module that they have. Nice. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to get their forensic certificate, what does it entail? Um, so I, uh, I know Cal State LA, I believe has one now. Cal State Long Beach has one. Um, I can only obviously discuss sure. what Long Beach is this cause I'm not familiar with the other programs, but, um, the Long Beach one is, I think it's eight or 10 weeks and you have to go every Saturday from like eight in the morning until five at night. Um, and when you get out, you get like a basic applied certificate and it kind of just gives you an introduction to all the aspects of the field. Mm-hmm. So you get like one day in crime scene, one day in photography, one day in DNA, one day in fingerprints. Yeah, you know, I mean, it goes sure. on and on. Um, so I would say if you want to get into the field, um, 
you, you, the key, honestly, after you have your degree is the internship, because from what I see, most people don't get hired without volunteering because I will sit on a panel for new applicants at other outside agencies. And there are hundreds of applicants Mm. and only a dozen or, you know, so we'll get invited to the interview and the ones that are being invited in, it's not just a straight degree. It's a degree with volunteer or intern or something extra mm-hmm. otherwise I, you're not getting in you cannot stress enough for any job to go get an internship mm-hmm. because how else do you know until you're just like kind of boots on the ground yeah it's like you and nursing it's like if they didn't give you that practical experience right up front who knows what would have happened <laughs> right i would yeah. have graduated and like <laughs> i can't do it no <laughs> get me away from that needle when you do a, an internship say your experience and I know I'm sure you've heard people's experience now are they letting the interns do real work it's not just coffee fetching or anything like that I will say and I and I I I feel bad for students that are trying to get into this field because um, there's not a lot of internships out there because Mm -hmm. in all honesty it's a lot more work for the department yes um, because they're I mean as much as they're like we're free help and we're free labor it's there's a lot of time that's taken away from our daily job to try to train and teach yeah. and educate. Um, and we can't just cut you loose, right? No. So a lot of it is shadowing. You will do a lot of office work while mm-hmm. we're while we're writing reports. But then when there's a call, at least at our department, we'll allow you to go out with us. You can shadow on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you can come into the lab and you can see how we chemically process items for prints or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um so they get the exposure. So yeah. when they're interviewing, they know what they're talking about. It's not just what they read in a book. Right. Um, but it's uh, it's extremely difficult to get an internship. <sighs> yeah. So it's not an easy field to get into. No, because not I didn't realize that not every not every department has a forensic side. Yeah. No. It's, no. A lot of agencies don't have forensics, and they just outsource to the county. Oh. So like the sheriff's department will come in and um, work your cases for you. Do they have a big, de- a larger department over there at the county? It's like, oh, we got we got six people over here. Whereas over. Yeah, the county has. So uh, so the difference is at um, some of the small PDs, like we'll have four or five people. Right. And we do everything. So you take the pictures. You're the crime scene investigator. You're testifying in court. You're doing fingerprint analysis, evidence processing, digital capturing, like you wear many hats. Mm-hmm. The county tends to, um, you know, you'll go work in the fingerprint unit for however long you you want to go over work over there. You'll work for six months there, or six years, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also just work chemical. You're still going out to crime scenes, um, but they have it more pieced out. So like if there's um, a firearms case, uh, if there's like bullet trajectory, they'll have firearms come out and do the trajectory for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's blood, someone from serology will come out and collect the blood for mm-hmm. them. Where at the smaller agencies, like where we're working in the PDs, we collect the blood, we mm-hmm. photograph the blood, mm-hmm. we put in the rods for trajectory, right? So yeah. um, I think there's pros and cons to both. Um I don't think you always need a specialist to come out and take one swab of blood that you can see. But I think in in certain times, there is a need for a specialist who knows everything about bullet trajectory to be the one to come out and determine that for you, right? Yeah. And so we will, if it is something that is major and we're like, this is like, so we had a case where um, someone was shot and killed in a car and we had two guns that were used, multiple rounds. We had hundreds of rounds that were fired Mm. into this car. But we were going to need to know which bullet killed him, right? If we were to decide who the shooter was, who is the one that actually caused death, right? So we want to bring out um, the county to come in with their expertise and and find that information for us. Do you do a lot of road rage cases or car-to-car shooting? Is that something that's pretty common? We've had some. We had some very interesting ones. Um, we had one that was very crazy years and years ago where it was a stranger, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, where it was started out with a little road rage road rage incident and um our uh, officers witnessed the whole thing go down and someone was killed in front of our officers how did they watch what do you mean how'd they watch it why were they there there was a road rage and there one of our um one of the victims pulled up to what they saw the police car and they pulled over and were like um i'm gonna get assistance from the officer and the i guess the suspect didn't see the police officer sitting there and opened fire on the car 
Oh. So it happens. I don't have a ton of road rage. Right. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of calls come in of like, you know, um, someone flashed a gun at me because they were mad, but we don't have a lot that result in shootings. Right. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with that? Someone flashed a gun. Well, yeah. How do you prove it was a real gun? How do we even know? You know, yeah. it's, there's a lot that goes into that. Right. But Cal Southern California freeways, as Denise and I have discussed ad nauseum, are a, play are a place for crimes to be committed because everyone's so angry. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> So, some of the more interesting stories, though, that you've told us before you got here, one involved pepper spray. Um, yeah, so I was like, I was that new uh, forensic specialist, super excited to go out to anything that they called me to. Mm -hmm. um, it was a bank robbery. Someone walked in, passed a note, told them to fill up the bag. Um, the teller was able to get the dye pack inside of the bag that the suspect had her fill. And um, he went out into the parking lot, drove off. Well, the, the bag went off inside of his car. Sure. And so, you know, there's dye stained and um, money everywhere. Well, I was new and had no idea that the dye stain packs also had pepper spray in them. I didn't know that. Why? Why I, do they have pepper or spray? I don't, and I may even be wrong if it's not pepper spray, but it's one of those, right? It's, it's, a, like it's some something. type of something, right? Yeah. So that all of a sudden you're crying, you can't see. You know, yeah. So that when they're driving, they can't drive. It disables the, <laughs> the robber, right. I guess. I, yeah, I don't, well, yeah. Well, you can't use the money anymore because it's covered in the dye stain, right. right? But I take it back to the office and I'm processing this money to see if we can get fingerprints or something on it and I'm literally my nose is running my eyes are running and I'm like what is wrong with me what is happening and then someone comes in they're like ah you might want to turn that hood on because you realize you're working with pepper spray right and no. I'm like no how come no one told the new girl maybe it was like initiation I don't know <laughs> is that still today though they have an element to that dye pack that is I don't know I'd I never know. heard of that that's crazy what's crazy is people are still trying to rob banks well yeah I mean, literally, with all the, th I mean, I know. Desperate times. I guess. Mm -hmm. If you can get a couple of bucks of cash and be on your way, I guess it's worth it. Yeah, people do. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have them, not, not as often. No. I, I say I worked more in the beginning of my career, but every yeah. blue moon, like I said, I guess they're like, mm, let's give it a try. Let's see. The, I've already hit all the 7-Eleven, so let's just go now <laughs> to the jewelry stores. Oh, and then we'll hit the banks. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of these, we've done a couple stories recently of jewelry store heists. Do you do you find that you get called out on those? Smash, smash and grabs. grabs. No, but we don't have um, any of those high-end streets, right, where you have those That's like true. fancy, and uh, the area I work and we don't have yeah. jewelry yeah. stores that are like you know on the on the main street front right. um so I, I don't i haven't worked any of those type of cases i had mm -hmm. a couple and other agencies that i worked at i shouldn't say a couple i remember one um where they did walk in and smash this was years ago before it was popular <laughs> um you know now it's the thing for it's everyone thing, yeah um but no it's not I, mm -hmm. I don't i don't have that many i've had one one in my career okay mm -hmm. being in law enforcement and just being part of the public that we are, we're frustrated by the lack of responsibility on the behalf of, I would say, prosecutors these days. Mm -hmm. as, a, as somebody from in law enforcement, how are you guys dealing with that? I mean, it's, it is. It's sad. And I think that, um, I mean, we're seeing it, you know, if your car's broken into, it's kind of one of those things where... Sorry for you. Yeah. You know, if you left it unlocked, it's really not a big crime anymore. Um, I do. I, you know who I feel for? I feel for the victims, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, we don't, we're not able to do much for them. And we have to tell them, sorry, nothing's going to happen or nothing. You know, we tried to file your case, but it was rejected. Mm. Um I, I mean, the ones that bother me are the more heinous crimes, you know, and like there's one that I'm working and I can't get into the specifics of it, but, um, you know, there, he, someone was serving time for a heinous crime and they're already paroled mm. and, and we have more possibly associated to that individual. So now we didn't pursue it at the time, you know, we thought, okay, it's solved, it's closed, they're doing time but you know they're not going to get out well now they're out and so we're like we have to go back and revisit that and um you know i worked one and it was um multiple women were sexually assaulted or one was an attempt sexual assault in their home where you're supposed to feel safe right mm -hmm. 
and the individual and and I know that we're we're doing a lot of this where if you're a juvenile you're not you know you're mentally you're not capable of knowing your actions well when you're 17 and a few months shy of 18 you know when you come into someone's home you're not supposed to break in you know <laughs> that you can't force yourself upon a woman that doesn't know you or want you right and and yet we're releasing these people and saying mm, okay this you know is, this is a teenage this is an actual serial case. rapist i have um you know without like said specifics but yeah we had somebody who sexually assaulted women and is already released after doing not very much time because they're and, a juvenile yeah kind of and yeah. i'm not um i i'm i mean i've seen the worst of the worst right and i don't I think when you can break into someone's home and you can sexually assault them, I don't know that we can reform you. That's right. I, and that's me personally. No, right? I agree. And, uh, but I just feel like um, I don't know if that urge ever leaves you. The, the, what's the word? The nerve to be the, just the wherewithal to say, I'm going to walk into a house. I don't know what's on the other side of the door, but I know I need to accomplish this task. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it, whatever's on the other side of the door doesn't matter. It could be Denise Cooper with a nine millimeter. It wouldn't matter to that person, which is exactly what you're saying. How do you reform that? And I don't think you, I, I mean, like I said, I have been working in this field for a long time and I've, I've seen the worst of what people can do and I've, and I've seen people get out and I've seen them do it again right away. So I don't have a lot of faith in we can reform these people or change these people. I don't. And yep. then and call me jaded. You know, no. Call me what you want, but. It's such a it's such a huge you're opening up a a conversation that is so much bigger than just the processing of it and the crime itself because there is no rehabilitation taking place after they go somewhere else. I mean, mm -hmm. they go to a a holding cell, which I'm not against. I'm I'm just s simply stating the fact that there's no rehabilitation because we're not implementing that in right who's working with that do you ha i'm assuming from what you've said that you have had experience where you have worked on a case that person has been put away maybe years later you come across another scene and it's that person that's been released do i've you, had that you've had mm -hmm. that where yes. it gets like a comeback around yes here. I've had it where it's a, a something more minor. I mean, it's not minor for you. If right. someone breaks into your home and then a year later, that same neighbor, their child is released and they break into your home again, you still feel violated, right? And uh, so I've had that happen where it's minimal. And I say minimal and that's sad because anytime someone's house is broken into, it's an invasion of right. your space and your privacy, but it's not a person crime, right? It's right. not. But so I've had that. Mm. I've had the more egregious where you're having someone who's raped or or in, in one case I have um, homicide mm -hmm. and the individual is out. And you've come and across another crime scene where that individual you're like, I recognize this work. I, I So one of mine is a cold case. So, it is. yeah, one of them that we're working is a cold case. And when when that comes to a conclusion, I can come back and talk to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but look back. I mean, if we just talk publicly, right? Yes. If we talk about cases that are in the public eye, yeah. um, uh, notoriously, look at them. You have um, some of the, what is the woman in Chicago right now, if you guys have followed it? And she was the, is it, I think we have Chicago. She was the um, up and coming. She was an entrepreneur. She was like on Forbes, like millionaire. She was in her 20s and she owned a high tech or um, some type of tech app. I don't know, something. Anyway, she sold it. If you go look it up right now, mm -hmm. um, this was probably about a month or two ago. She was standing in her lobby and someone, she's on video. She had just gotten home from a charity where she was donating and she's standing in her lobby. Someone waves her down and the individual, she goes over and opens the locked lobby door to her apartment building, um, probably thinking this person is going to go up to someone else's floor. Sure. And um, you see them both get on an elevator and 20, 30 minutes later, you see him come out and, and rushing to get out of the building. Monday morning, no one has heard or seen from this young lady or Sunday, whichever it was. And they go looking and they find her on the rooftop and she has been uh, raped and strangled. And I believe there's blunt force trauma to the head. The individual in this crime had just broken into someone else's apartment or house a week or two prior. The city knew who they were looking for and mm. he raped and slit the woman's throat and set the husband and wife on fire. Ugh. And ultimately, he had just been released from prison months prior for some type of act, right? And right. and 
why are we doing early release? Why? That I don't understand, yeah. right? If you if you are committing a crime and you're going to prison, you should be doing your time, right? And if there are no repercussions for our actions, I don't think society is going to get better. I I the example I use is if your mom always told you to come home at midnight, mm-hmm. right? And you come home every night at one and your mom just tells you, don't do that again. Or uh, next time I'm going to up your your curfew. Mm-hmm. And then the next night you come home at one and your mom doesn't up your curfew. Does it make you come home on time any other time? It doesn't. No. So if there's no repercussions for your actions, will you stop doing what you're doing? I don't think so. I agree. No. Well, no. But my gosh, I can't get over that. Did they catch the guy? Did they Chicago? caught him. It was. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'll have to look up relays. I'm pretty sure it was Chicago. Yeah. Um, and it was recent. It was a couple months ago. But you can see the whole story. And she's this cute young girl. And she literally just sold her company. She was like, you know, coming into her, her the best times of her life. And this guy was released early yeah. and then killed her. Did he target her? No, it's random. It was just random. Random. She's in the lobby, wrong place, wrong time, and he, you know, does what he will with it. I'm pretty sure. I, I, I don't quote me, but I think we might he have was, to do this story mm, on our show. Yeah, mm-hmm. but even the um, is it is it Kloss? Is it Polly Kloss? The one where yeah. he was um, he was a sex offender mm-hmm. that was living in a halfway house, right? Mm-hmm. And they were trying to rehabilitate him, mm-hmm. and then he murdered her right sexually assaulted and murdered that young girl snuck into her room while she was having a sleepover right i mean i'm from northern california i remember that happening it okay. was like couldn't get your head around yeah. those poor girls what? I, I they they revisited that case oh it's terrible it's terrible it's the, they just there revisited were other it like last year because it was an anniversary yeah. year there oh. were like four other little girls who were yeah. like what are we doing mm-hmm. mom's awake in the next room that's mm-hmm. what i mean by there's that impulse control of yeah. knowing that there's someone that could maybe do me harm if I try and, you know, do do my will against these people. That doesn't exist in a criminal's, in some criminal's brains. Yeah. Like, whatever is happening, I got to get what I got to get. Yeah. I don't think they're thinking, uh-oh, I could get in trouble. No. Or I did this before and I'm trying to be better. And I mean, maybe, maybe. But like you said, the impulse, I don't think that you can suppress that. I, no. I don't think that they're able to. No. I don't think so. Especially pedophiles. I mean, there's no rehabilitating a pedophile. They're just not. No, they, that is, I mean, there's not. Mm. So it's like, if, right, right. So they desire children. It'd be like you desiring men. And then all of a sudden we're like, you can't have them anymore. You have to want mm-hmm. women. You're not going to because nope. that's not what's in you, nope. right? Like I don't, I just don't the concept of it to me. It's rough because there's a whole group of people that's like, yes, but they're civil rights, and then there's the other side that's like they don't get they lost their ability to have civil rights by their behavior, yeah. and, and then it's not the fair. Yeah, it's not. It's not fair. It's not mm-hmm. this. You know, it's very. It's a very complicated issue, apparently. <laughs> I think who we're I think who we're forgetting about in this is the victim. The victim, absolutely. Right? Every time. The victim gets forgotten about every single time. It's like, yeah. wait, what about their rights yeah. to have a decent life after being, you know, molested by the pedophile yeah. who shouldn't have been out? Right. You know? Yeah. Anyway. Tough. Well, you're doing the Lord's work here. Well, for real. You. Really are. I mean, you know, we talk about you are the advocate for the victim who cannot speak for themselves. And you're looking for the answers that can maybe lead you to that conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's very, very cool. Thank you. Very, very cool. Thank you. Do you have plans for retirement? Like I put in 25 years and that's what I planned on doing. Um, You know, I we, we explore it as the kids get older and bigger. And my husband is also in law enforcement. So as his career keeps evolving and changing, there's definitely those conversations. Um, I always joke because he has, he says about seven years and I, I tell him, um, the day you retire, I will be leaving too because I refuse to wake up and see you sleeping and me going to no work at 5 a.m. Absolutely. I'm angry. Yes. Um, so I will retire when he retires and he will retire first. So I will follow him right out the door. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. But I love that you're already dipping a toe into uh, teaching. Yeah. That's so valuable to have all those years of experience and then to be able to hand that off to, you know, other people that yeah. want to get into that field. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy it. It's different. Yes. I actually think it's sometimes more exhausting it than, is. than work teaching's hard it is it is not easy um but i do i'm exploring that um yeah. and i don't i don't know maybe something totally different maybe i don't know your second second life story right yeah yeah i love it so mm. we always ask our guest to bring us something that we can remember you by a takeaway gift a tag 
What did you bring for us today? Um, when you said that, I thought, I have nothing. I'm super <laughs> boring. <laughs> and so then I was telling my husband, I'm like, what's my takeaway gift? And I said, what do, what do I have to un- offer or that I embody or you would remember me by? And as we're talking, our kids, either on purpose or inadvertently, were eavesdropping. Um, and, you know, three children, no conversations are yeah. quiet. Um, and so one yells from the other room, uh, we can't say can't and we're not allowed to give up. And we're like, what? And so I kind of laughed. I'm like, I cannot take that to the show. One, we will sound like super harsh, crazy parents. No. <laughs> no. Then, but then after we're sitting there, we're like, well, that is what we, that is our value system at home. And so um, when our kids were young, we decided that we weren't going to allow them to have certain words in their vocabulary. And one of them being can't. And although it's a seemingly innocuous word, um, it's very powerful, right? Mm -hmm. And so we decided our children couldn't say the word can't because it would set boundaries and create limits. And by doing that for them, it bled into our lives, right? And so um, I think if I can impose on anyone getting rid of the word can't in your vocabulary, I would do that because I think our kids have become extremely resilient by it. They'll try anything. Yes. And we've told them you might have to work harder than other people. You might have to work longer than other people. But if you truly want it, it's yours for the taking. And um, and we also, my husband um, in our house, it's a thing that he says, lanes never give up. Um, mm-hmm. And so our kids live by that too. And so one of our kids was in... Um, a competition and a parent said to her do you want to stop because she's she's very short (laughs) so (laughs) it was a it was a run and she's like I'm tired you know he's like do you want to stop and she turned to him and said no lanes never give up so I mean I guess that's where I would go with it that the sky is the limit and as soon as you allow yourself the can't word I think you give yourself an out and you truly only regret the things that you uh, don't try I love that so much. It's true because I think you, if you are afraid, you will say, oh, I can't and I'm not going to do it. And I mean, looking back, I'm in my 40s now. The things that I truly regret are ones that I never tried yep. because you, pro- I probably thought I can't. Well, it's too hard to achieve, yep. right? And so if I can make my children believe that that doesn't exist and there's nothing you can't and you might not you might not ever get exactly what you want you might divert a little bit from the initial goal but you will have that goal and you will get somewhere without the word can't it's empowering but i will say my husband is is the the motivation in the family (laughs) (laughs) so we get a lot of this from him but i will i will say that like you know you i think you're attracted to those that are sometimes opposite you know and and I adore some of the stuff that he contributes to our family and those being one of them and I think our kids are stronger and better for it thank you so much Morgan for coming on Uh, I'm Ann Police and I'm Denise Cooper we are two average girls thanks for listening in 2024 have a good one Uh, be sure and rate review and subscribe as one of your new year's resolutions get on that purple button and go ahead and just scroll down a little bit you can You can give us a little like and we would appreciate it. Also, follow us on Two Average Girls Podcast. That's on Instagram as well as our website. We have a terrific website and Facebook. You can't get rid of us. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Fries.